I think it's important to think about choices and consequences here. And I think election administrators are in a position to clearly communicate that. What were they able to do in 2020 with that money that they won't be able to do in 2024 without it? You know, what are the choices and consequences that election officials are facing? And they need to communicate that not just to the lawmakers who set their budgets, but to their communities. The full and free exercise of our sacred right and duty to vote is more important in the long run than the personal hopes or ambitions of any candidate for any office in the land. You're listening to High Turnout, Wide Margins, an insider's look at election administration hosted by Brianna Lennon and Eric Fay. Welcome to High Turnout, Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk for Boone County, Missouri, and with me is my co-host. Eric Fay, director of elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And today we're going to be talking about elections funding, the prognostications of elections funding moving into 2024, and why it's so important that we have uh, a really good, robust pool of resources as we go into a presidential election year, especially after 2020. So today we are talking to two folks. Um, We're really excited to have Ben Hovland today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And uh, we also have a um, special guest from Vote Beat, and I'll have her introduce herself too. Hi, I'm Carrie Levine. I'm a story editor at Vote Beat and happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So um, Ben is a EAC commissioner with the Election Assistance Commission, and so he is intimately involved in the federal level funding. And Carrie has done really exhaustive work covering uh, a number of elections issues, but a lot of election funding issues as well. So um, we have two experts on what the state of federal funding is for elections, and so we're really excited to talk to them. But we will first ask our regular question, how did you end up working in the election space? Or what has surprised you the most as you've covered elections? Like, is is what you're covering now what you thought VoteBeat would turn into last year? I'm a longtime campaign finance reporter, and so I've got some experience with complicated systems that people don't understand very well. It was actually good prep for this. And so... I think what we're covering is why things are playing out the way that they are, right? What people think versus what is correct and true, and also helping people understand all the things going on behind the scenes that aren't necessarily visible to them, but that explain things. And so I think we're doing a pretty good job doing that. I've been really happy with it. And I also think we've had a chance to shine a spotlight on election administrators and how they're navigating these really complicated waters that nobody prepared them for, to talk about how they are answering questions from people who believe things that are not true, that are not correct, how they're dealing with the pressures on their office, and the creative solutions that they're finding to things like limited funding. And so I think we're really being... I think we're doing a good job shining a light on something that's complicated for people. And I really enjoy that. Awesome. Well, thanks, Carrie. And um, Ben, if you would like to introduce yourself a little bit further. And of course, for regular listeners of the podcast, you know, Ben has uh, been a guest before, guest host, actually the only guest host in the history of the podcast. And um, 
of course, earned his election administration chops in Missouri, like any you know good election administrator should, I guess. Um, but Ben, we're here to talk about election funding. And so after you kind of introduce yourself, maybe um, you'd be willing to set the stage for the state of federal funding for elections, where that stands, um, where the money that has come through and might be coming through the EAC, what the state of that is and all that good stuff. Yeah, thanks. Uh, great to be back. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that uh, it is it is quite an honor to be the only the only guest host ever. I think I need to get some kind of uh, plaque or something to memorialize that. Um, I am still a commissioner at the Election Assistance Commission and, and we rotate. So I'm a, the current vice chair, uh, you know, and talking about this issue about the funding of elections uh, is always something uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, it feels like uh, something that uh, I've been involved in for quite a while, certainly since my time at the Senate, uh, and and the importance of it, you know, in this moment with all the challenges uh, that the community is facing, uh, you know, uh, I think I think that adequate funding is is needed now more than ever. And so, uh, you know, as we look out uh, at the landscape, um, you know, the federal. The federal funding cycles uh, tend to to run a little behind, you know, what is supposedly regular order. But uh, you know, we did pretty good this year with with sort of an end of year funding, uh, just just a few months of a continuing resolution. Uh, and so we saw uh, with with the Help America Vote Act funding, uh, we saw an additional seventy five million dollars. Uh, I know the the draft. The draft language had had envisioned a higher number, potentially around four hundred million, and so uh, I certainly know there was there was disappointment uh, at that seventy five million dollar number. I think uh, to me, if there's there's a silver lining there, it is that we've seen some regularity. Uh, I'm not sure we've totally figured it out, but <laughs> at least uh, at least there is um, some regularity that we're seeing. I think. Speaking of that, consistency and predictability is really important. Um, one of the things that I know has an effect on that as well, and and I'm not sure which one of you wants to speak to it, but uh, there's also conversations among local election authorities that if some of that money could bypass the state, go directly down to the locals, um, because while consistent funding is good, consistent appropriation is also necessary. So if you have a state that is not always funneling that money down to the local level, it can have an impact on things. Um, do one of you or both of you want to touch on um, that relationship and if that has come up in conversations at the federal level? I'm happy to, to jump in there. Uh, certainly, you know, that is that is something we hear uh, at the Election Assistance Commission. Uh, the House in the last few appropriations cycles has had some language that talks about 50% in cash or in kind uh, going to local election officials. Uh, I think I think that language, um, to me, makes sense around uh, addressing the challenges of sort of the variations across the country, the, the top-down, bottom-up dynamics. Uh, you have states like Louisiana, where the state pays for poll workers. So uh, you know, of course, you have to take that into account or the states where, uh, you know, at the state level, they buy the voting equipment or or costs like statewide voter registration databases. Certainly, uh, I think you could uh, I could see a scenario where you certainly are 
getting credit for sort of allocating those. But but we do hear about the needs at the local level um, pretty consistently. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, not all states have, have passed down that money equally. I also think it's part of a bigger conversation, uh, you know, really, uh, to me, you know, it's how are we funding elections at all levels of government? And again, this this varies around the country, uh, but there's a federal piece. Uh, I believe that to be the case. Uh, there's a federal portion of the ballot. Uh, we've been reminded that it's an, a national security issue in recent years. Uh, so many of the challenges uh, coming from the national conversation. Uh, but clearly, it's also a state issue and a local issue. Uh, and and again, depending on where you're at around the country, uh, you know, for the most part, that burden falls on local governments uh, to pay. Uh, in some cases, you know, we hear from election offices who are, are wholly funded by fees they charge for other services, for, for land recording or otherwise. And so, uh, you know, I think there's there's really a need to look, um, you know, I like I like the examples that I've heard about, you know, basically the real estate of the ballot, you know, the portions of the ballot and and paying for your portion, whether that's through a chargeback mechanism um, or, or something else. Uh, you know, I do think we need to look at that and think about it uh, holistically across all levels of government. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I want to jump a little bit off what Ben said about kind of the decentralized nature of American elections and how it can be hard to figure out how much elections really cost. I've tried a few times and, and everyone accounts for it differently. Everyone tracks their, their expenses differently, the people who work on elections differently. So it's really hard. There have been some good attempts to get a handle on this. I know uh, MIT professor Charles Stewart, who's kind of a noted expert, worked with some other experts in 2013 and estimated that local election departments spent about $2.6 billion in 2012 on election administration. And now we have advocacy groups like the Brennan Center and experts like the Bipartisan Policy Center who estimate that for election security and other costs, local election officials really need another $2 billion. And so the question of who pays the bill for this and and what really should be an, an election expense it is an open question. And that makes some of these discussions really hard to have. I think the other thing that makes these discussions really hard to have and to fix on numbers is that election officials are really creative people. They're frugal people, and they pride themselves on finding really creative solutions to problems. And so sometimes that means that you know, they perform miracles, right, with the amount of money and the resources that they have, which also makes it hard to figure out how much something should cost. You hear over and over that there needs to be predictable funding. You hear over and over that there needs to be consistent funding. You hear over and over that it takes time to do things like buy equipment like drop boxes or voting machines. And so people need to know that this funding is coming down the pike on a reasonable timeline so that they can get these pieces in place. And so these are all things that tend to get lost in the funding discussion. The Department of Homeland Security has, for the first time, said that a certain percentage of their grants must be spent on election security, right? It's like 3% of $2 billion must be spent on election security. And in some cases, those grants go directly to communities, bypass the state. And that's a big deal, but it just isn't necessarily going to be enough money to meet everyone's needs. Hi, I'm Brianna Lennon, County Clerk for Boone County, Missouri. 
And you're listening to High Turnout, Wide Margins, a podcast where we explore local election administration. But I think what perhaps we don't spend enough time talking about is what are we going to actually use that funding for? And um, I think Ben might be able to speak to this in 2020 when when Congress allocated uh, money for elections um, and the, the EAC was dispersing it. And I think the EAC did an admirable job dispersing it as quickly as they could. Um, when this money is all of a sudden dispersed, uh, you know, there are some federal guidelines and, you know, in accordance with how you can use on these types of things. But I, I worry that we don't always have um, a plan for, for how to use this money. And, and I don't know, Ben, from your position at, on the, on, on EAC, if you can speak to that, if maybe you, you can speak to a little bit to what states have used the money for in, in recent years, and if maybe that would provide a roadmap as to what it, what a consistent funding stream would be used for in the future. Yeah, thanks for that. You know, I mean, I think that, that you're exactly right. And again, you know, because because people are, well, one, have different needs because of the state and local structures, or maybe in different places with like cyclical replacement of equipment, you know, we really have seen uh, this, this variation and, and, you know, really starting with the, the, the 2018 $380 million, you know, I used to talk about, you know, essentially we were seeing election officials almost choose from, from a menu of options. We saw, we saw a lot of people replace old equipment or paperless equipment. Uh, we saw a number of states, uh, you know, replace their statewide voter registration database or or harden those systems. Uh, certainly, in response to a lot of the the cyber issues that came up in 2016, uh, you know, we saw we saw states like Illinois uh, really lean into to the Cyber Navigator program and and be able to provide a level of of support and expertise to their counties, sort of on a regional basis. Uh, and, and so again, you saw. Uh, a number of things. Uh, I also think about, you know, recently I've heard, um, you know, a number of stories about people using the the Cyber Security Infrastructure and Security Agency, uh, CISA, uh, their physical security advisors uh, to have have those folks come out to your office, do an assessment of, you know, where there may be uh, vulnerabilities with your with the physical security of your office, and, and we've seen. We've seen those assessments result in significant local investment. You know, I look at I look at the landscape right now, and I think about you know the cyber issues haven't gone away. Uh, you know, that's certainly uh, a source of of cost. Uh, you know, voting equipment, of course, is is still aging. Uh, you know, we throw on the challenges of combating mis and disinformation, uh, which sometimes spirals into uh, physical threats and harassment. Uh, and obviously the toll that that takes, uh, both, uh, you know, on the office, but just, just on individuals who are having to deal with that. Um, you know, we're seeing the, the weaponization of records requests. Uh, again, that can be overwhelming for the office and again, taxing on, on staff and so much of that, uh, you know, the main way in or one way that you combat a lot of that is through voter education. But I think so often voter education gets backburnered because there isn't enough money for it. 
and so to me, I see all of those challenges and all of those areas that need to be addressed uh, in a space uh, that was already underfunded. Uh, and that's, that's pretty daunting. I think too, as laws change, right? We're we're in a we're in a period where state lawmakers are really um, legislating on elections. There's a lot of bills and a lot of new laws that local election administrators have to figure out how they can comply, um, and, and that means resources, right? They're spending time figuring that out. They're changing uh, procedures. They're changing designs. They need more people. Uh, and so I think as these laws passed, it's still hard to say how much of an impact they have on dollars, on resources, on time allotment, but that's something that becomes a factor as well. And so I think it's easy to sometimes ignore things that don't look like there are new laws that say you must buy this, right? It's easy to say, well, there's not a dollar attached to this, but they can change the way that election administrators use the resources that they have. They can spread them more thinly. Sometimes the you know, federal grant money can be can entail onerous record keeping or reporting. And I wonder if you can maybe speak to that point about, you know, how you feel about that? I don't know if there's anything the EAC can do about that, but um, you know, for some election administrators, that and I know I've spoke to some, you know, especially folks from very small jurisdictions who say, you know what, that money be nice to have, but I just I don't have any staff to to you know do the paperwork on it, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, uh, again, as somebody who's thought about this for a while, you know, that is that is one of the challenges that you come back to. You know, certainly. Uh, certainly at the AC, you know, I've been pleased that um, we've been able to, uh, you know, we've seen uh, a recent increase in funding that's gone a long way to to building out our program. And, and part of that has been adding grant staff that are able to provide support uh, to offices and, and again, uh, address a lot of those issues and challenges that come up. But But when you start thinking about, you know, uh, you know even putting Putting on a, you know, my former hat as a Senate staffer, you know, trying to think about how you can do federal money uh, and get it to the local level um, and not have some of those burdens. I mean, certainly that that becomes a challenge. I mean, to me, that's part of why some of that House language made sense was was it sort of dictates uh, a certain amount of subgranting. Uh, but the reality when you have, uh, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of jurisdictions, and particularly, um, you know, in the states that that run elections at the municipal level, you're getting down to to very small jurisdictions who, no matter, you know, even even a bit a pretty big, you know, piece of money, if you carve that up into eight thousand or so jurisdictions, uh, you know, for those smaller towns or villages, their portion is going to be pretty small, and so then. If, to your point, Eric, if you say, okay, uh, well, I've got to spend half of this or, or, you know, whatever on the compliance piece. And so uh, to me, that is why sort of language that includes the state and, and has, um, you know, has some provisions to make sure to include uh, the locals or make sure, you know, the in-cash or in-kind is a lot of flexibility. Uh, but again, for those smaller rural jurisdictions, you know, it's not putting the burden of compliance, you know, totally on them or, or directly on them. 
are there are there things that we could be doing? I mean, should we be pushing our states harder? Should we be, you know, with everything so decentralized and piecemealed coming down? What should we be doing? <laughs> we can all well, all these conversations are happening in D.C. and you know, all this advocacy is happening, like on a day to day basis, what, what can we do to try to stave off some of these kind of issues? And I don't know, I was trying to be optimistic, I'm trying to come up with an action item. <laughs> I think that, you know, election administrators have a really strong case to make for being generally good stewards of resources. You know, I was looking at the National Conference of State Legislatures data and something like 23 states have now banned private or philanthropic resources or restricted private and philanthropic resources for election costs. And that means that hundreds of millions of dollars that went to elections in 2020 are no longer available to election administrators. So as someone who early in her career really sat through a lot of municipal and county budget presentations... I think it's important to think about choices and consequences here, and I think election administrators are in a position to clearly communicate that. What were they able to do in 2020 with that money that they won't be able to do in 2024 without it? You know, what are the choices and consequences that election officials are facing? And they need to communicate that not just to the lawmakers who set their budgets, but to their communities. Because I think that these are voters, these are people who are counting on their elections being available to them, being accessible to them, and they need to know what's changing. And so I think one thing election administrators have to do, and in the last few years I think they've gotten pretty good at it, is talk about what they do and talk about the consequences of the choices that are getting made. Because at the end of the day, those choices affect voters. They affect the people who have to show up and participate in these elections in order for us to have a functional democracy. They're not purely administrative choices with no consequences. And so I think the more election administrators are able to communicate the consequences of these decisions to their communities and to the lawmakers, then I think everyone goes into this with a common understanding of where we are. And that's really important when you're making decisions about funding or anything else is for everyone to know why those decisions matter. And so I would say to election administrators without, you know, taking a side on the right number here, the right amount of money that should go to elections, it's really important for people to understand what that money means, because it's hard to make good policy decisions if there's not a common understanding of that. And election administrators are in a really great position to explain that to people. I think Carrie makes a lot of really great points. You know, I, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, I think I... I had to testify in, in front of Congress in sort of the aftermath of 20 and, and questions were asked about some of the, uh, you know, some of that private funding. And, you know, I said, like, you know, look, I, I didn't like that that money had to be uh, provided. I don't I think that it was a failure of government. I don't think our democracy and the infrastructure of our democracy should be dependent on on, you know, the charity of billionaires. Uh, and so I guess to me, you know, I, I don't agree with the, the prohibitions and I think there's been some unintended consequences. But if you're going to do that, you know, if that is your it's, that's your decision at the legislature, uh, well, you know, you still need to recognize why it was needed. Uh, you know, otherwise you haven't solved the, the failure of government portion of that. And 
and provide adequate funding. I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, with the with the creation or the designation of elections as as critical infrastructure, uh, there's this sector specific plan. Uh, and and it says in, there's a funding section in the sector specific plan and it says it's impossible to make an honest assessment of the election infrastructure subsectors risk and the potential to mitigate that risk without an understanding of the chronic resource issues the subsector faces at all levels of government. Uh, and I guess, you know, again, to me, uh, that is that is a federal issue. It is a state issue. It is a local issue. And, uh, you know, I think to some of the points that Carrie made earlier, you know, I think things that we can do about it, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, again, I think election officials sort of Herculean efforts have bailed us out a lot. Uh, and so, you know, sort of being the squeaky wheel and and telling the story and being honest about the challenges that we face and and I think highlighting the wins, you know, we've been we've been trying to do sort of more of that at the AC, but you know, there is this this real opportunity for a dual sort of, you know, two wins. There's both there's both what the funding does itself, but there's also telling that story uh, for the public confidence angle. And I think we can do more of that. You know, whenever uh, you know people push me on why I have confidence in elections, uh, you know, it's like well because I see all this work that has, is done, you know, I know about these investments that have been made. Um, and, and I think that goes a long way, but again, not everybody gets to see that. So I think, uh, you know, telling that story uh, to the public is a big piece of it. I just maybe add that large numbers can be really abstract. And so I think when we talk about election costs in the millions or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, it's hard for people to understand. And so local election administrators are a really important part of telling the story of what that money goes for, how it keeps our elections safe, how it keeps our elections accessible. I agree with that. And I think that, you know, to the degree that there's context, you know, I, um, uh, you know, I got some, some chuckles, but some attention when I talked about how uh, you know, I told then Senator Blunt uh, that that the EAC's budget was less than than Kansas City spends on potholes, uh, and that got some attention. Our, our budget went up. Uh, you know, Kansas City also spent more on potholes, so I, I don't I don't know if that was related, but uh, it certainly kept that relevant. But again, you know, I think sometimes with the the scale and scope of some of these things, I, I think to Carrie's point, you know, sometimes. Uh, the context matters or, or comparison points matter um, to sort of make that relevant to people in their daily lives. You've been listening to High Turnout, Wide Margins, a podcast that explores local election administration. I'm your host, Eric Fay, alongside Brianna Lennon. A big thanks to KBIA for making this podcast possible. Our managing editor is Rebecca Smith. Our managing producer is Aaron Hay, and our associate producers are Abigail Ruman and Katie Quinn. This has been High Turnout, Wide Margins, and thanks for listening.